This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Perhaps no recent Hollywood offering has polarized critics and viewers as much as Adam McKay's Netflix holiday release, Don't Look Up. The star-studded movie details the maddening inaction of politicians and the media in response to a deadly comet that's certain to wipe out life on Earth, a not-so-subtle analogy of the climate crisis. While many professional reviewers excoriated Don't Look Up, earning the film a mere 55% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, viewers gave it high marks. The film has amassed 150 million viewing hours on Netflix, making it the most viewed film in a single week and the third most viewed film ever on the streaming platform. My guest is Peter Kalmus, climate scientist, author of Being the Change, Live Well and Spark a Climate Revolution, founder of No Fly Climate Sci. His film review published in The Guardian is entitled, I'm a Climate Scientist, Don't Look Up, Captures the Madness I See Every Day. Welcome to the program, Peter. Thank you, Sonali. So um, what was your initial reaction at watching the film? And I ask this more as a sort of, let's get out of the way, the fact that the, f- the film on its own as a film is being reviewed, setting aside the message. Did you think it was a good film just on the you know face of it? <laughs> well, I'm not a film critic, but I have to say as a, as a climate scientist and as someone who's been trying to sound the alarm for climate urgency to get humanity to actually act like this is the emergency that it is, I was just absolutely delighted, which is funny because a lot of people were saying, oh, like I, I felt so much anxiety watching the film. But I think a lot of the people that have been trying to sound the alarm for a long time had interestingly the opposite reaction where we felt seen. We felt like, you know, finally the message is getting into the mainstream. We felt like um, the movie very accurately represented our struggles as communicators of basically potentially civilization ending disaster. So, um, you know, I've I've seen a lot of films that have kind of danced around the climate issue. And this one for me was the first one that just really nailed it right in the center of the target. So the uh, premise is that you have these two scientists played by Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, who you know are, are, who discovered this comet? It's the Jennifer Lawrence's character who does that. And it's funny. I was once upon a time an astronomy grad student, and I could mm-hmm. very much relate to the character played by Jennifer Lawrence. The frustration that they feel, and also the hesitation, and dare I say, maybe lack of finesse that they have when talking to the media initially, are those are also things that I feel like are very familiar in the climate crisis movement. Now, scientists like yourself are very adept at speaking to the media, but there was a time, maybe 10, 15 years ago, where scientists spoke like scientists, for example, saying that there's a 99% chance of this happening instead of saying, it's certain it's happening. Um, and, and, and so there's been this evolution, right, in how climate scientists speak with the media? I think so, that, yeah. That the film um, captured? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, part of the, uh, kind of one of the recurrent jokes in the film was this uh, media training, which I don't know if uh, members of the general public really were in on that joke, but for me, I was just like, yes, you know, like it's it's so funny to to have, to be told to get media training when you're talking about these incredibly catastrophic, frightening things. Um, You know, um, it's tough. There's been a lot of discussion over the years about messaging. And, um, you know, a lot of scientists and and even activists take the um, 
they sort of think that, oh, we don't want to scare the public too much because that'll actually cause them to act less. My, my personal take is I just have, from the beginning, I just tell the truth. I stick to the science. I tell the science as accurately as I can, but I'm not afraid to also tell my emotional truth, you know, like how this impacts me as a, a human being living on this planet, as someone who's got two young kids, as someone who's a citizen and, and has a right to weigh in on policy, for example, and ultimately as someone who just deeply loves this planet, deeply loves the forests and the coral reefs. Um, so, you know, I, I think that uh, partly because of, you know, that me and other scientists just kind of having that MO of like, this is how we're gonna speak. You know, we're, we're gonna, in some sense, throw careerism, throw caution about our careers to the wind a little bit because these are issues that absolutely transcend not only my career but me as as a human right we're talking about stuff unfolding on deep time sea level rise that's going to be with us for thousands of years um atmospheric heating that's going to be with us potentially for hundreds of years and biodiversity loss which will be with us for millions of years so it's so much bigger than us and i'm gratified to see more and more scientists like myself uh speaking out with that level of passion and with that level of you know, emotional truth. So there's the scientists' uh, interaction with the press, and then there's the politicians. In the case of the film Don't Look Up, Meryl Streep plays the president, a sort of female Donald Trump. So brilliant. Um, you know, she looks like Hillary Clinton, but she acts like Donald Trump. And uh, she uh, makes political calculations every step of the way. That is also seemingly a very, very maddening um, reaction, I think, you know, a frustrating thing that climate scientists like yourself feel on a daily basis, right? It's been decades now that people like you have been sounding the alarm and every step of the way, those who have the power to do something are constantly making political calculations rather than taking action to save us. So, so Nali, it's been absolutely heartbreaking to me to watch, you know, from, from the Kyoto Protocol and from the kind of rise of the IPCC in the early 1990s. Um, and just from that point on to, to hear world leaders saying a lot of the right words, you know, this is a quote, existential crisis, um, but then doing worse than nothing to stop this, um, actually actively accelerating the crisis. Um, they have an absolute unwillingness to deal with what is obviously the root cause of all of the global heating and all of the impacts that we're seeing, all of the flooding and the fires and the crazy weather, the dying coral reefs, um, the, the, you know, the hits to uh, crop yields and rising food prices, the climate migrants, um, the massive deadly heat waves, all of this stuff is being driven by the fossil fuel industry, which has been lying for decades and unfortunately has an outsized influence on our, on our uh, policymakers and on our politicians and even on, on the mainstream media. So it's been heartbreaking for me to see so clearly what the cause is. And yet to see, you know, uh, international meeting, UN meeting, COP after COP, you know, we recently had COP26. And all of this stuff they're talking about is dancing around the real issue, which is that we need to rapidly end the fossil fuel industry. And we should have started that long ago. And we can't allow them, you know, the, the fossil fuel capitalists to just keep taking the profits while they're destroying the planet. Um, and we need policymakers that somehow break out of this cycle of influence and are willing to actually stand up to the root cause of the problem. You know, um, 
the public doesn't isn't quite there yet because I don't think they fully understand what an irreversible and serious emergency that we're in. But in my opinion, the fossil fuel industry has broken their social license with humanity. And at this point, all of their assets, in my opinion, uh, and it'll take some time, I think, before the public gets on board enough to make this happen. But I feel like their assets should be seized. Um, the, we need fossil fuel in the short term as we transition off of it. But that supply should probably be nationalized so that it can be directed to like the sectors, you know, basically keeping the lights on and luxury uses, unnecessary uses of fossil fuel could be ramped down. I don't, I don't see any other way to do it rapidly enough at this point um, while, you know, uh, not right. causing huge price spikes that would absolutely crush the working class. Let's talk about the role of tech billionaires, which is also captured mm. very nicely in the film Don't Look Up. You have a tech billionaire donor who basically promises this pie in the sky, fantastical solution to the comet that's heading to Earth while, you know, of course, capitalizing hugely on the minerals in the comet, which actually isn't a far off fantasy because that is something that tech billionaires do talk about, mining, mining asteroids, asteroids for exactly. valuable minerals. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, how much of an analogy is this to the climate crisis because we see these sort of technocratic solutions you mentioned COP mm -hmm. being uh, touted and actually being centered as a solution to the climate mm -hmm. crisis like car carbon capture etc that, that's exactly what I was going to point out so I thought it was spot on and I think the the center of the target for that particular part of the satire is exactly what you said carbon capture so this is a basically a fantastical technology it's a technology that exists but the biggest carbon capture facility, which turned on last year, um, I, I, I don't know how many millions of dollars, maybe tens of millions of dollars it took to build it. But that one facility, which was highly touted in the media, um, I did the calculation, which, which my calculation then got widely reported, which was a great thing, right? So it's starting to finally resonate with the public. But I estimated that that one facility takes out three seconds of humans carbon emissions over the course of one year. And so we need millions of such facilities to actually deal with what we emit now, uh, not even considering that our emissions are still growing uh, planet-wide. So yeah, it's, it's, it's probably not something, and there are limits to how cheap you can make it because it takes energy to, you know, to basically run the cycle in reverse, right? The reason we burn fossil fuels is because it releases an enormous amount of energy at relatively little cost. So you're running that in reverse and putting in a lot of energy to pull that carbon back from the atmosphere at great expense. So uh, can we really expect our young people today, our kids, while they're being hammered by climate catastrophes that are getting more intense every year that we can barely conceive of right now. So they're a huge fraction of their uh, interest and their economical sort of bandwidth is going to be taken up just by dealing with these disasters. Do we really think they're going to be able to spend, you know, half of their GDP on carbon capture? And can it even be scaled up at all? So this is a talking point that the fossil fuel industry absolutely loves, and they've been pushing it heavily, and they've been funding the promulgation of this idea through society because it takes the spotlight off of them. It takes right. our attention away from the simple fact 
that they need to be ended as quickly as possible. And of course, it, it, it also becomes a huge, massive taxpayer funded giveaway to corporate interests Absolutely. who at the end of it, just like the film Don't Look Up points out, will shrug their shoulders and say, oops, it didn't work out. And, you know, now we're going to hold ourselves up in our private castles, uh, protecting ourselves with so every Nally, privilege it, yes, <laughs> from climate change. It's absolutely remarkable to me from like a risk assessment perspective that we would be willing to bet our entire planet on an unproven technology in terms of its ability to be scaled up. It's exactly analogous to, the, um, to, to what was depicted in the film with the untested technology to, uh, you know, to try to capture the minerals from the comet instead of just diverting it. Now, Peter, if this film had been made with, you know, not very well-known actors or not very good actors, if it had not been as funny as it was or fast-paced or well-written as it was. It's, I find it difficult to believe that viewers would glom onto it. I mean, there are films made all the time with political messages. You know, many of them succeed and many of them don't succeed or, or don't attract that much attention. Why do you think professional critics and reviewers hated this film so much. Yeah, so, you know, you mentioned earlier, like the 55% on Rotten Tomatoes and then the public, I don't remember what the number was, but it was quite high. 78%, I think. Yeah. yeah, and then if you had a third category for climate scientists, it would be 100%. Um, so, you know, I think there's a, there's a wide spectrum uh, in the public right now in terms of how concerned any given person is about the climate emergency. And I think it would be fascinating if there's a survey that, that, that teased this out. But my hypothesis is that those people who are at a 10 out of 10 on how, you know, kind of panicked they feel about the climate emergency, how serious they find it, those people probably mostly love the film. And the people who are at like a three or a four out of 10 and think that, you know, like Bill Backbatter's got this, you know, the Democratic Party's got this. We just need more electric cars. This is, you know, another issue. It's like number, you know, six out of 10 on my like priority list. Those people probably didn't like the film very much because they thought it was, you know, they probably saw it as too extreme. And then on top of it, you know, there's been a huge problem. And this is, this is my big takeaway from the film. This is what it really taught me is that the mainstream media up until now has been a huge barrier to building the kind of mainstream climate movement that we're actually going to need to break through the, um, the influence that the fossil fuel industry has over our policymakers. So we need a movement so big that the policymakers, the politicians are more afraid of the movement than they are of alienating the fossil fuel industry. And we're not even close to that yet. The movement has been building rapidly over the last couple of years, but it hasn't become truly mainstream. And it, it's very hard for me to imagine the movement becoming tr truly mainstream. So I, I often say we need a billion climate activists. I'd, I'd go for even more than that. Um, but if, if the mainstream media, both the news media and the entertainment media, basically pretends you know, that everything's fine, like it's not depicted in most films, not depicted in most TV shows, a lot of uh, you know, articles about heat waves in the winter, for example, don't mention climate change. They show people enjoying a day at the beach in the wintertime. So if that's the kind of coverage we get, everyone, you know, people who aren't already on board with what an emergency this is, they, they consume that coverage 
And they think to themselves, oh, I guess it's if it was really an emergency, the media would be telling us it was really an emergency. They wouldn't be treating it like this. So that sort of cultural gaslighting, I think, has been a huge barrier to building the movement. And obviously, the people doing it, the, the sort of elite mainstream uh, um, you know, journalists and gatekeepers in the media, they, they realized that this film was directly targeting them in a very, in my opinion, in a very uh, brilliant way. And so they don't like it. And uh, there are, of course, people who are pointing out that the film was written by David Sirota, who was a one-time communications manager, I believe, of um, presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. Um, and yeah. there's this this uh, you know, mainstream media distaste for <laughs> that sort of uh, politics. Um, well, Peter, yeah. maybe we'll see more such films come out. Uh, do you hope finally and do you hope briefly and finally that um, the film might have helped push the movement along a little bit considering how many people viewed it? I mean the fact that it's been viewed so widely and the fact that it's also generated conversation around climate change is certainly a good thing. Absolutely no question. Uh, the, conver the conversation, the discussion around this film uh, has been astronomical, orders of magnitude more than anything I've seen previously. And the fact that it was such a big um, you know, financial success for Netflix, I think you know, pretty much guarantees that we're gonna see more climate storytelling, more mainstream climate storytelling coming out of Hollywood in the near future. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll post a link to your article in The Guardian reviewing the film from our website. Good luck to you. Thank you very much, Sonali. My guest has been Peter Kalmus, climate scientist, author of Being the Change, Live Well and Spark a Climate Revolution, founder of No Fly Climate Sci, and he wrote the film review published in The Guardian called I'm a Climate Scientist, Don't Look Up Captures the Madness I See Every Day. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.